Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. I, I think that it's really a, a process of listening, isn't it? You know, that's, that's the key. You know, when, when we speak about compassion, sometimes we can have a passion for compassion, and so we, we want to lead the charge and, and so on. But if we can just stop and breathe and kind of listen and gradually evoke, you know, create that opportunity for people to really make their own arguments for where compassion perhaps can fit in the workplace. P-Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week it's part two of my chat with Dr. Stan Steindl, clinical psychologist, author, expert in motivational interviewing, compassion-focused therapy, and a YouTube influencer. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to nourish your mind, to flourish at work. We cover loads in our chat, including my review of Stan's book, which is called The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering. We also cover the development of the compassionate other, the fears, blocks and resistances to compassion, and how we can use these to guide our approaches in introducing compassion to organisations. You'll also hear Stan's takeaway, which is not to be missed, a metaphor for developing our own compassionate approach. In other news, reviews are in for part one of my chat with Stan. Thanks to everyone who listened, shared and reviewed the episode. It's been mighty popular. Dr Rose Horton-Smith on Twitter said, What an inspiring interview and such a lovely guy that is Stan. Very interesting discussion on how motivational interviewing can unlock the blocks and fears of compassion. Imagine, what if, just fab. And also on Twitter, James Baker said, Listened to two fab podcasts so far this week. One was People Soup with Stan Steindl, and one was The Wrong Kind of Mad with Peter Kinderman. Lots of meaty psych chat for the morning dog walks. Well, thanks again to everyone who listened, shared, commented. Very, very much appreciated. In other news, as part of Season 4, I'm inviting you to the cinema. The link is now live, folks, and you can bag your free tickets over on the show notes to see Work Songs, a documentary by Mark Street from Brooklyn, in collaboration with Argo Pictures. Work Songs was finished months before the pandemic hit. The film examines how workers from all walks of life find meaning in their jobs. The P-Super virtual screening runs from the 21st of May to the 31st of May. You can get your tickets now to watch it in your own time between those dates. It's a kaleidoscopic portrait of the United States at work. There are interviews with cab drivers, longshore women, a farmer, a barista and others and they discuss threats from automation, the gig economy and the decline of the unions. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, follow and review it, whatever platform you're on, especially Apple. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Stan. And I'd love to to really dive into your book, just to mm. learn a bit more about that, The Gifts of Compassion, How to Understand and Overcome Suffering. 
and I was fortunate enough to, to read a copy, and I would like to start this segment with my review, if I may. Oh, yes, please. Love to hear it. So here we go. Stan, Shantae, you stay. This book is awesome. Over the last couple of years, I've really set sail upon my journey exploring compassion-focused therapy, and I've read a fair few books and papers. Yours is the first book that has really hooked me. You take the reader on a journey with practical techniques and personal stories that really bring the concepts to life in a way that's both accessible, practical, and highly readable. For me, it's as if you anticipated my questions as I progressed through the book, and I felt both supported and guided by a trusted friend. Thank you so much for writing this. This is now my go-to reference book. And I'm currently rereading the sections. There's, the whole book is awesome, but there's some sections on self-criticism, shame, forgiveness, and healthy relationships that blew my mind. And I really... I'm just diving back into those at the moment. And you know, you know, my focus is on people at work, Stan. And there was mm. just one of the stories you told that really shone for me, that really resonated. You were talking about mm. you were working with some student nurses and you, as part of that training, you assessed their level of compassion according to the three flows, which are compassion for others, receiving compassion from others, and self-compassion. And it probably wouldn't be surprised to anyone that on the first one, compassion for others, they were much higher than the general population. But on the second two, receiving compassion from others and self-compassion, they were lower than the general population. Mm. And you actually discovered that nurses were more likely to be self-critical about their own suffering and hide it away from others for fear of being judged as weak or incompetent. Now, we know that nurses are a witness to patients going through a lot of suffering. And by only being compassionate to others and not receiving any compassion for themselves, can put them at risk of burnout and fatigue. And I love the way you use this story just to help me understand these three flows. And trying to achieve a balance was an important part of the discussion in the training with nurses. But I think for any workplace, this would be an amazing way in. And for the nurses, it was a great place to start preparing for their own self-care as they started their careers. So you can see, I'm a bit giddy about this book, Stan. I am feeling very, very humbled by your wonderful words and, and the description of, of how you felt reading it. I, I'm, I really appreciate hearing that, Ross. Thank you. My pleasure. And I, I'm glad it came across so strongly because... Blimey, this, this is what I've been looking for, man. So how would you introduce the book to, to a new audience, maybe? Well, I think I wanted to write a book that was a very practical, plain language entry point into compassion-focused therapy. And a lot of the books that are, are written... CFT is, is, is very comprehensive. It, it draws on all sorts of psychological science, attachment theory, neuroscience, spiritual traditions and wisdom traditions, and sometimes can feel even a little overwhelming. And so that was the idea behind the book, was to find a way to 
just make something very relatable and, and engaging and practical and plain language. And so I sort of see it as a little bit of a therapy companion, potentially, but also a, a, a sort of a self-help type of guide. It really tries to offer practical things that people can do and start to develop their own compassionate mind. And so it works through a, a series of, of core skills around uh, bringing it back to the body and body-based practices, using imagery, cultivating a sense of a compassionate other, cultivating a sense of one's own compassionate self, and then bringing all of that to certain aspects of of who we are, the multiple selves, the, the anxious self or the angry self or the sad self, and, and then ultimately bringing the compassionate self to things like self-criticism and shame and trying to find ways to, to forgive and, and relate well to, to one another. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the idea there is to really offer something that's nice and, and relatively brief and practical and, and you can work your way through uh, and feel like you've actually started to, to develop this special part of ourselves, this, this compassionate mind, this compassionate self. Mm, he hearing you speak, I really resonated with your your guide to developing the compassionate other, mm. and and just just having the opportunity for myself to reflect on that, and it really allowed me to pause and think about what would my compassionate other be like, and it's partly it's probably too different, perhaps or a blend, but it combines my my mum who who died in two thousand and nineteen. Mm. Well, it, it's it's kind of one element is my mum. Yeah, the the unconditional love, the pride she had in the work I do and in me in in finding my path in life. Mm. That's something that's really quite strong and emotional for me. Mm. And also, there's sort of another part of it, which is my dog. My dog, Basil. Basil. Oh, he's a whippet. <laughs> and and there's just something about that connection. And what can mm. I learn from him about just being in the present, about disconnecting? He helps me disconnect. And many other things and many other qualities I admire him for. So just I felt very fortunate in that chapter just to actually pause and think about that and then really develop them in my mind and my approach and my own practice. So there's a there's a really practical thing that the book supported me on in my journey, and I love it that the book is the main book. But then there's also a a kind of workbook. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, it's a personal practice workbook. I was sort of had the 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 dilemma of do I include the the exercises and the the space for writing in the book itself, or separate that out and create a a kind of a a separate workbook I sort of felt like separating it out was was a nice idea because then the book itself might be shared you know you might have a friend and think oh well they could have a read of this too but you can keep your own workbook and and so on and so that was sort of the decision in the end but yeah the the, the workbook is really about trying to record some of these insights a lot of CFT is about guided discovery and tapping into 
one's own intuitive wisdom about, among other things, compassion and, and, and so on. And so, you know, the, the idea of the book is to really guide people through these various exercises to arrive, just like you said, at, at their own version of this ideal compassionate other. You know, what, what might be the qualities of the, the ideal compassionate other for, for, for you? There might be wisdom and strength and courage and a caring commitment. You know, those three things are often in there from a, from mm. a CFT point of view. But what else, you know, is, is it warmth and cuddles or is it uh, humor and playfulness or is it serious and philosophical or, or whatever it might be, you know, that, that we really can stop and think about, you know, what is it for me? If, if I was to have someone to be compassionate towards me, what kind of qualities would I really want and, and need from that person? And, and so we think about perhaps people from our lives, people now or people we've known in the past, other living creatures and so on. And we start to think, okay, those qualities there and, and those qualities there, uh, it might it even be, you know, not real people, fictional characters or people from a movie or even spiritual figures and so on. And we can, we can sort of really stop and think, actually being playful, is a part of compassion, really, in, in some ways. And, and being playful with this and, and sort of stopping and thinking, you know, what, what might my ideal compassionate other look like? And of course, we might have different ones for different occasions. So my old dog was called Hammer, and he's gone now. But when I'm needing a, a kind of a compassionate other that really is about the strength and courage side of of compassion, I might sort of more think about hammer. Whereas if I'm really after that warmth and friendliness, then I might think about Bruno. If I'm wanting to tap into wisdom, I often bring to mind my grandfather, who was actually my father's father, David Steindl. I think of him as, as sort of that figure of wisdom. So, yeah, I think there's there's th- these people, these living creatures, these other characters, they give us these little gifts. And that's where the title comes from in a way, you know, like uh, that's one of the gifts of compassion is is that we experience these qualities from others and, you know, even perhaps when they've gone, you know, that we still have that gift of, of those, those special qualities and, and we can actually enact some of that within ourselves as well as we develop, you know, our own compassionate mind, you know, from those, the lessons that, that others have, have offered us or the demonstration of, of what it is to be a compassionate person. Wow, love it. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. At one stage there, I was, I had uh, Ian McClellan as my compassionate other because of the whole, you know, Gandalf thing. But then he was in a movie recently where he was the real baddie. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> it, you know, it, he's, he's not quite as helpful anymore. Oh, no. He violated your compassionate other by having a different oh, role. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Oh.
Stan, you know I'm keen to get compassion into organisations as a valid, evidence-based approach to a different way to approach our working lives. Now, I know you've, you've done this. I mean, any, any tips on compassion for people in the workplace, either folks in the workplace or people trying to bring compassion into the workplace? Yes, I think the, the big consideration there is in and around those fears, blocks and resistances. Uh, this is probably one of the really important contributions of Professor Paul Gilbert, who really developed compassion-focused therapy and, and the compassionate mind. But he really identified this idea that, that people can have fears, blocks and resistances to compassion. And the workplace can bring up those sorts of fears, blocks and resistances. Often when we're at work, we are tapping into different motivational systems. We're tapping into a competitive motivation, for example, or we're tapping into an achievement motivation or trying to aspire and have successes. And so sometimes a compassionate motivation can feel, I think, at odds to the, the sorts of motivations that really are kind of demanded of us in the workplace. Even compassionate professions like nursing or medical doctors or, or even psychology, you know, like for me, uh, we'll have sometimes those competing motivations and you know the the need to achieve certain key targets for example or to to demonstrate that we're being effective and and having good outcomes or you know other sorts of motivations so that i think that's the bit to ponder so if we go into an organization and we propose compassion <laughs> uh, in one way or another what might be some of the fears, blocks and resistances that arise? You know, what might be the fears? What might actually be activating their threat system there? You know, is there anything that kind of feels threatening about being more compassionate at work? What might be triggering blocks? You know, things that maybe they would like to be more compassionate, but they just don't have the time or the resources or they don't really know what compassion is or or what might be leading to these resistances you know resistances are more where we might be thinking compassion is is silly or you know weak or you know we don't we we probably could be more compassionate if, but we don't want to sort of a thing mm. so so that's that's really a key now the one of the tricky bits is the question, you know, what is compassion? That, that's the, the, the first dilemma because oftentimes the definition can be part of the fears, blocks and resistances. If, if compassion is seen as, like you said before, you know, sort of warm and fuzzy and fluffy and pink, if you like, then that can just not feel really relevant. So trying to tap into a sense of you know what is compassion that it's that it's a sensitivity to to suffering in self and others and a commitment to try to alleviate and and prevent that suffering it 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 takes great wisdom 
it takes great strength and, and courage. And it really is about a commitment to being helpful rather than harmful. It, it's not about anything too sort of high and mighty or anything like that. It's, it's just this core commitment to be helpful rather than harmful to myself and others. Sometimes we might even invite people to, to kind of think, you know, what's, what's a time in their lives where they have experienced receiving compassion from others? You know, what, what, what was that like? Or what did they notice when someone was being helpful to them? Or in fact, what was a time in their life where they were being compassionate towards another person? And what was that like? What did that feel like in them to shift into that that motivation? And just gradually creating this sense of, of what is compassion? What does it really feel like to receive it and to give it? And, and then gradually kind of having a sense of, you know, sort of moving through the, the fears, blocks and resistances and working out just, just what might it be in, in this current organizational context. The idea of motivational switching, I think, is a really interesting one in the workplace. There'll be times when, okay, the competitive motivation is essential. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, maybe. But are there ways, you know, knowing what compassion perhaps is and what we're really talking about there, are there ways that we can switch motivations and, and switch into something like a, a compassionate motivation, perhaps when we notice that, that someone's struggling at work and, and that sort of thing? Wow, Stan, you've given me a new way in to, to think mm. about this with organisations. I love the idea of perhaps going in, introducing the idea of compassion and then sort of facilitating a discussion about what are, what are your fears, blocks and resistances and allowing people to get them out on the table and say, let's, let's discuss those. I'm not, I'm not threatened by those. Let me try and reveal more to you as we go along. But thank you for getting those out because I've experienced that. I think I probably mentioned when we spoke for Compassion in a t-shirt I spoke about doing a sort of taster session more around act acceptance and commitment therapy with a, a tech organization and introducing sort of that noticing with curiosity and kindness and it was the CEO who actually said well all right Ross but we don't have time to do that we are moving here and there we're agile we get shit done and we don't have time to do this and I tried to sort of present that we could do both but given more time with them I'd really like to start getting people to share their fears, blocks and resistance because I think it then sort of demonstrates it. it gives me the opportunity to kind of role model compassion as I do that. Well, what you've stumbled across there, I think, Ross, is the role of motivational interviewing, <laughs> just to bring it back to that. That am I, you know, our temptation when a CEO says, oh, we don't have time for that, is to say, but what about if you do it this way? Or, you know, yeah, but you could do this. And then they say, oh, yeah, but we can't because of this. And there we have it. Now we're, we're stuck in, in the discord. But, but like you say, often a really powerful response is to say, tell me more about that. Tell me more about your concerns there. What, what are your reservations about this idea of curiosity and kindness in the workplace? What are some of the, the reasons that you really feel reluctant to go there? Or 
or what what about where you feel unable to actually to bring that in to the workplace and and you know you really just spending time exploring validating honoring those fears blocks and resistances and then at some point once they feel heard and understood about you know that side of it then you might come in with a little open question that sounds something like so what about the other side you know if you were to bring in this idea of curiosity and kindness it's it's not easy to find the time but if you were to bring it in what would be good about that <laughs> and now we're getting on to the 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 motivation side the 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 side that that is about the reasons and benefits and the facilitators of compassion or or kindness and curiosity and 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 so on because we have those inhibitors we have the fears blocks and resistances and we want to really validate that side and then we want to just gently guide the conversation towards the facilitators the, the the other side of of the ambivalence and and you know even the tech ceo or whatever they'll be there you know we we are these deep wells as human beings and we have compassion in us you know it it's it's in there it's evo- it's evolved too and so you know given that little space to really explore both sides you know often people will say little things you know they'll say well you know obviously compassion is a good thing and then you say oh okay so tell us a bit more about that bit and off we go starting to to sort of help them to have all the good lines you know help them to to actually make those arguments for compassion it can sometimes feel like yeah but that's going to take so long to have that conversation but the funny thing is it's actually the shortcut because when we are able to really listen and to validate the fears blocks and resistances and then just gently guide to those those facilitators of compassion we're we're missing all of the resistance then we're mis- re- missing all the arguments all the discord and that's what slows us down so oftentimes these conversations can actually be you know really efficient and 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 we can get there great i've got a whole new structure emerging to how to how to approach this with organizations that's pretty practical for me stan thank you so much Yes, I I think that it's really a, a process of listening, isn't it? You know, that's that's the key. You know, when when we speak about compassion, sometimes we can have a passion for compassion, and so we we want to lead the charge and and so on. But if we can just stop and breathe and kind of listen and gradually evoke, you know, create that opportunity for people to really make their own arguments for where compassion perhaps can fit in the workplace. Now, Stan, I'd like to ask my guests another favour. Would you have a little Mm. takeaway that you could share with our P-Supers, our listeners, something to reflect on for them? I think for me, compassion is about engaging with and trying to help with suffering. And so, you know, it's no small thing, really, to be compassionate. And often, 
we think of compassion as some sort of beautiful zen uplifting kind of loveliness but actually it it really is moving towards suffering moving towards some of the dark side of what it is to be human and so compassion is often not just about kindness or love or you know kind of certainly being nice but rather having that strength and courage and determination and wisdom and awareness and understanding and deep deep commitment to actually approach and be in the presence of some of the really tough stuff some of the stuff that we actually don't like some of the stuff that feels really uncomfortable or unpleasant about others and perhaps what they're going through but also about ourselves and so often it might be about bringing compassion to those bits of ourselves that we really loathe about ourselves or hate about ourselves or we find we have terrible shame about this part of ourselves and so i i like the idea of a compassion ladder so to speak where we try to build the rungs of the ladder you know we start with bringing it back to the body and using the breathing using the body posture using the facial expression some of those core pieces are kind of like the first the first rung on the ladder and then we build up from there and we we start to to bring in our imagination and 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 images of perhaps a compassionate other and the wisdom of them and what they might what they might have to say to us or you know to guide us with things and and then we might go up from there and start to to really think about okay my compassionate self what if i was to approach my own suffering now that the idea of a ladder is nice because if we get to that rung on the ladder and it feels too much you know or or we we start to really feel distressed in, in the presence of of suffering our own or others we can just pop down the ladder again and we can go back to the image of the compassionate other or we can even go back to the body and just activate the parasympathetic nervous system activate the soothing system just settle soothe calm the body and then just nudge our way back up the ladder again until we're moving to that point where it it's about practicing compassion in daily life and then gradually getting to that point two steps forward one step back or whatever where we're now really embodying our compassionate self and we might encounter suffering in others or in ourselves and the compassionate self just arrives now and there it is alongside ready to help out because we've been through these little stages and really paced ourselves and now we can Im- embody our compassionate self i love it the ladder that really speaks to me thanks dan and i actually feel like you're as i climb my own ladder i actually feel like stan is just down there holding the ladder so it doesn't slip for me ah uh, <laughs> thank you actually one of the adorable bits of feedback i got 
about the book was from my my daughter, Freya, who said that she felt that reading the book was like just having a conversation with me. She felt like my voice was was coming through, and I was like, oh wow, that that's just the best feedback. And and so I I do hope that that kind of you know comes through that that perhaps you know i i would like that sense that you know i'm i'm there for you guys you know and and i know you're there for me as well absolutely and and i agree with freya and in, in another meeting someone asked you if you were doing an audio book <laughs> no one has mentioned that i mean no not the publisher and so on hasn't hasn't mentioned anything about an audio book it'd be sort of fun to do i i can't imagine. I, I guess you'd just have to sit in a little booth and read it out loud. It, it would it would be a, an interesting experience. Well, I think you can tell your publisher you've been asked at least twice now. So um... yeah, I've been asked <laughs> twice. <laughs> I think I think you call that a growing demand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I I, I reckon my mum would also think it was a good idea. So that might be three. Get in. Stan, thank you so much for joining me on People Soup. I really value your reflections, your openness, and it's been a joy. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ross. I, I love what you do. Thank you, mate. Peace, supers. That's it. Part two of my chat with Stan is in the bag. Thanks to Stan for being such a tremendous guest. You'll find the links to his website and the book on the show notes, as well as his YouTube channel. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, follow, rating or review are also very, very much appreciated. It will help the show climb up those all-important charts. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk, and this includes links to a few different platforms. I love to hear from you, and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On the Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals, and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, peasoupers, and bye for now. Oh, that was fun, Ross. I really enjoyed chatting with you last time, and this time I think it's a fun uh it, it's it's sort of called something in podcast land isn't it a, a collab or something so yeah oh gosh yeah cross pollination or something <laughs> yeah well let's hope not <laughs> <laughs> all right well okay well